You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is from Colossians 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, news has a powerful way of shaping our lives. The news impacts our perceptions of others. It shapes our personal dreams, it forms the narratives that we believe, it alters the way that we relate. I read an article recently that quoted research that said that the news that we listen to and the news that we watch actually has the ability to impact our physical health. News is powerful. 21 years ago to this day, I woke up getting ready for the day. I was still in high school at the time. I dragged myself out of bed. The first thing I see is my mom sitting in front of the TV and immediately I knew that something was wrong. I saw the somber look on her face. I looked at the screen and I see it just panning around two smoking buildings. I didn't really know anything about these buildings previous to this point, honestly, but as you know, it was the Twin Towers in New York City that was the target of foreign invasion. Now, In some ways, this news had very little to do with me. I was not a soldier. I was living on the opposite side of the country. I didn't know anyone in the Twin Towers, let alone New York City. And as a teenager, I had very little interest in current events. But at the same time, despite not fully understanding the significance of that moment or the death toll or the future threat of terrorism, there was this immediate sense that what has just happened is going to change life as I know it and life as we know it for many years to come. And in a lot of ways, it did, didn't it? We live in what has been called a post-9-11 world where everything from travel 
to technology, to surveillance has been changed forever. New York City, the Pentagon, that open field, I believe it was in Pennsylvania, was the epicenter, and now the ripple effect continues to touch us today, decades later. Now, this does not just apply to bad news. This also, this also applies to good news. Some of the most iconic Newspaper clippings, some of the most iconic newspaper cover stories, scream of the war is over. A British uh, newspaper published this after the close of the First World War. It said, how great the news was received. Sounds of overture and rejoicing. People coming out of hiding. People rushing the streets. Children singing. Church bells ringing. Great celebration, the war is over. Again, at the close of the Second World War, newspapers all over the world posted this headline in big, bold, capital letters, victory, the war is over. Again, people were rushing to the streets. People were like grabbing strangers and don't do this, by the way, and like kissing them and like hugging them. I mean, think about it. The baby boom came out of that celebration. Talk about joy. Talk about celebration. (laughs) But honestly, that was an expression of people in their minds saying, finally, this is a world that I'm willing to bring children into. This this wasn't just celebrated among soldiers. We know this. This was among civilians all over the world who had been anxiously waiting to hear the outcome of the war, to hear that announcement that it was finally over. A term that is right at the heart of the Christian faith If you've got one of those fancy little Colossians notebooks, I suggest you write this word down. A term that is right at the heart of the Christian faith is the word gospel. And it is in the passage that we're looking at this morning, starting in verse 5. Of this you have heard before, in the word of the truth, the what? The gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. This word gospel in the original language is euangelion. It simply means good news or or good tidings. It's where we get the word evangelize, which means to spread the good news, to proclaim the good news. And in the ancient world, in times of war, times of political or cultural unrest, before the days of newspapers, before social media, before someone could get on a telephone and ring someone across the world, someone had to go and tell. Someone, a runner or someone on a horseback would travel to different cities throughout the empire proclaiming the good news, the gospel, that there was a new king or that the war was over. Some sort of life-changing event or announcement about one decisive event. Not a pronouncement of what the people had to do to accomplishment, accomplish it, but a pronouncement of what had been accomplished on their behalf. Now, yesterday morning, I woke up early and just happened to catch the live uh, viewing of the royal announcement of King Charles. Just pop and circumstance, cannons flying everywhere, swords and trumpets and all sorts of things. And I just happened to catch the pronouncement. I don't even know what his role was, but there was lots of colors that he was wearing and lots of, you know, medals and whatnot. And he said these words. Listen to these words. Listen to almost how biblical these words are. Hereby now, 
with one voice and consent of tongue and heart, publish and proclaim that the Prince Charles Philip Arthur George is now, by the death of our late sovereign of happy memory, become our only lawful and rightful liege lord, the king. And people like lose their mind, right? Think about that, the the proclamation, new king. In the first century, there was a proclamation that was spreading like a wildfire throughout the known world. It began in Jerusalem, which was the epicenter, and within just a few years, it had spread into various portions of Africa, into India, up into Asia Minor, and up into Europe. And it was the announcement of a new king and a new eternal kingdom Not one that had come through royal or noble birth or through succession nor through tyranny or war, but through dying and rising again, his own death and resurrection. And what it was, was the gospel, the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brave people, brave men and women, such as Epaphras, began to travel throughout the empire to these different cities telling people about these decisive events of the cross and the empty tomb. How Jesus, the risen Son of God, has the power to deliver people from their sins and from the domain of darkness and now makes us a part of his kingdom of life and light. And these faithful ministers were urging people to place their trust in Jesus and to receive this announcement as truth from God himself. One of those various cities that the gospel had come to was a city named Colossae. It was a slightly insignificant, often overlooked city. I just imagine it being in like the eastern version of the Central Valley somewhere. And, but as it came there, it was received by a number of people. And as it began to take root in their hearts, it began to powerfully transform them. They were bearing such incredible fruit of joy and love and unity in their community that the word about their dramatic change made its way by foot 1,300 miles to Paul in prison in Rome. Despite the fact that he had never met them before, this was not a... Uh, church that Paul had planted. But from that day forward, the apostle Paul began to pray for them and specifically pray for their growth and their maturity. And from that prison cell, this is a letter from prison, he wrote the letter that we have today called Colossians to the church. And the major emphasis, the main point was this, that the gospel that saves is also what will strengthen and grow believers. You do not have to move beyond the gospel because it's that same gospel that will now sanctify you, that will now grow you and cause you to advance in your faith. And it's this same letter, these same words that span across time and space to us today reality, boldly proclaiming the very same thing, that any and every bit of progress in our own personal lives or in our families or in our church community, any progress in courage, any progress in love, any progress in unity is going to be the result of growing in this gospel. 
dwelling upon and applying the powerful news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. We grow, we expand, we walk in a manner that pleases God, we, Lord willing, impact our city for Christ by diving deeper into all that Jesus is, all that Jesus has done, and all that Jesus has promised to do in and through his people. In this first portion of Colossians, Paul's introduction, I haven't even started to teach the Bible yet, my gosh, we see some powerful ways that the gospel impacts us and changes us. So what I want to do is I want to briefly mention and briefly highlight what the gospel, that same gospel, means for us today. You ready? If you're taking notes, the first thing is this. The gospel means a new identity. Look with me again in verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So, for the Christian, who we are and who we are to be and what we're called to be is from God. There is very little that we're told about Paul, but it's actually very telling here. He does not list all of his accolades, although that list was very extensive. His education, his experience, his role within Christianity. This is the Apostle Paul. The places that he'd been, all the churches he had planted. Instead, listen to this. Instead, he simply says, I am an apostle, which simply means a sent one of Christ Jesus. That's who I am. What Paul is essentially saying is, who I am now and forever is bound up in who Jesus is. I can't even accurately describe myself without describing Jesus. I think about all the ways that I introduce myself to other people. The things that I want to highlight when when I'm putting my best foot forward and I want someone to really know who I am. The long, well kind of a short list of things that I feel that I've accomplished and this is who I am and this is my role in my family. Paul's like, I can't even describe myself without describing Jesus. It's impossible. And who I am in Jesus isn't based on my determination or my grits or my religious devotion or what I've accomplished. It's determined by the gracious will of God. I'm not a self-made man, Paul says. I am who I am according to the will of God. It's simple. Henry Nouwen once said these words, Jesus came to announce to us that an identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity, an illusion. Loudly and clearly he says, you are not what the world makes you, but you are children of God. Friend, you are not what the world makes you, and you're not even what you make you. Through faith, you are a child of God. That's the truest thing about you. But also, consider the way that he then addresses the Colossians church, despite what he knows about them, and actually, despite the very little that he actually knows about them. He's never met them face to face. There are a lot of details that he just doesn't know. Despite all that, he can confidently address them like this, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That is who you are. 
I don't need to know all the details of your life. That is what I know to be true about you. Paul is saying you are so much more than your performance. You are so much more than your imperfections or your flaws, what you've done, what you haven't done, what's been done against you. You are more than the place that you were born or the place that you were brought up. You are more than the family or lack thereof that you came from. You are saints and faithful siblings in God. Now, I want to respectfully mention this, but I know that we've got some brothers and sisters that come from Roman Catholic upbringings. So I want to say this boldly and I want to say this clearly. You are not made a saint by veneration. You are not made a saint because of some extraordinary spiritual accomplishments in your life. You are not made a saint because some council in Europe gathered to determine your contribution to the kingdom of God. You are a saint and made a saint through trusting in Jesus Christ and by receiving his holiness that he offers to us through faith, period. Saints, yes, we still sin. Can I get an amen? Oh gosh. And we fall short of the glory of God every day. Yes, like the Colossians, we are gonna struggle to make progress in our faith. Sometimes it's gonna feel like one step forward and 50 steps back. But these things no longer define us. Adrian Warnock put it this way, all that he, speaking of Jesus, is, all his credit, all his life are imputed to us. And although we may initially appear to be much the same as uh, we were the moment before we, we were declared righteous, a change does happen within us. We begin a whole new type of life and become an entirely new kind of being. And then, I love this, we spend the rest of our lives becoming what we now are. What is the Christian life? What happens after that moment you say, okay, I'm gonna follow Jesus and trust in him? Here it is. The rest of the Christian life is becoming what we already are in Jesus Christ. Living into what has already been declared to be true about us, a new identity. The second thing this means for us is a new community. I love how simple Paul gets here because the reputation that spreads by foot, not telephone, not an email, not a car, not an airplane, by foot, 1,300 miles to Rome is this simple reputation. Here it is, verse four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, that was the music to my ears. That's what reached Rome. For the Apostle Paul, there was no such thing as churchless Christianity. Faith in Jesus and loyal love within Christian community are hand in hand here. I imagine Paul hearing some of the like silly things that we say today, like Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. I imagine him thinking, what? Personal that sounds like an object you possess and put in your pocket rather than the king over the kingdom that possesses us. My personal Lord and Savior? More like the cosmic king of the universe. We'll get to that next week. Five times, five times. That's not five, that's five. Five times in our passage he says, we. Four times he says, our. Catch this. 
Paul is incapable of describing God. Paul, who is never shy on words or short for words, is incapable of describing the Christian life apart from plural pronouns. The gift of salvation is not simply a personal private experience. When God delivers us from the domain of darkness, he reconciles us to his family. The gift of salvation is the gift of a new family. Paul says about God, our father. Paul says about Timothy, our brother. Paul talks about our future, our shared inheritance. Let me ask you a question. What was the first wrong step that the prodigal son took? You know the parable of the prodigal son? What was the first wrong step? Where did it all go astray for him? It wasn't running away. That came later. It wasn't this wild life of binge drinking and prostitutes. That came later. It was when he began to think of his inheritance as mine. Luke 15 There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. One of the dead giveaways of an unchanged life is the persistent language of me and mine. One of the dead giveaways of immaturity in the Christian life is to focus on personal experience and personal benefits of faith. That is the language and the mindset that God delivers us out of, not into. Pay attention to how Paul describes the work of God in the life of a genuine believer. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, so it's gratitude, not entitlement. Me, mine, mine, no, God, thank you for anything and everything I have in my life. Who has qualified you, so it's given, gifted, not earned, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So whatever is ours in eternity, all of the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, whether they're now or forever, they are forever shared. Earlier earlier this summer, you guys all knew about this, the Mega Millions jackpot hit $1.3 billion, and everyone thought it was gonna be them. And a lot of people weren't just buying individual tickets. That's not the way to do it. People were going in together because that increased your chances of winning. And all the groups that went in together had the math dialed down to the cent, right? If you put in 10 tickets, this will be your share. But if you up it to 15 tickets, then this will be your share and this will be our share. Everyone had the math down in the very unlikely chance that they won. They would share it and they would split it, divide it X amount of ways. I want you to think about this word share differently than that. Because while we do share in the inheritance of Jesus, this kind of sharing is not about dividing. This kind of sharing is about multiplying. When we share in God's abounding, or the word we used here, increasing grace, the share is never decreased, it's always increased. Sharing in the kingdom of God results in multiplying. When you were a kid, or I, this happened in my house this week, one ice cream sandwich left in the refrigerator. Never am I more creative and more of a mathematician until I have to divide one thing left. 
right? So I had to split it, but it was a Neapolitan one. Chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. You can't split it down the middle or someone doesn't get all the bits. So you had to split it right down the middle. When you split something like that, you divide it. You only have half when it's done. But I want you to think about dividing, or I want you to think about sharing in a different way. Think about when you share an experience with someone that you love deeply. Think about like that experience where someone was along with you and you were like, I am so glad that you were here for that. I am so glad that you were here to share in this with me. This experience was not divided. It was multiplied because we were together. And so it is within the community of God, within the family of God. It's always multiplied. And a statement that is repeated by Paul in this passage is he says, bearing fruit and increasing. As you share your life, as you share your wealth, as you share your time and your attention, your life will be marked by increase, not decrease. That's the promise of the Bible. And you will struggle to serve and love this community reality. You will struggle to experience the benefits of community until you believe that. The third thing is the gospel gives to us today is a new vitality. Now, in this introduction, Paul lays out some pretty important theological foundations. He mentions the Trinity. No big deal, right? That God exists, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He casts vision for what the church ought to look like, but he also does something significant here. As some commentators point out, that he makes some subtle connections between the Christian life then and now with the creation account in the book of Genesis. Back to the creation account where Adam and Eve were commissioned to be fruitful and multiply, to bear fruit and to increase. That's a Genesis reference. And so a life of love, a life of joy, a life of patience, a life of endurance and thankfulness and sharing, he describes as bearing fruit and increasing. He is making parallels between creation and our new creation in Jesus, the beginning and now the new beginning that has come. And what this means is that the vision that was left dead in its tracks in Eden when sin entered into the world, now we as New Testament believers have the ability to take up again, to be recommissioned in this again, to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to increase and to spread it out to others. And the hope that we have through the gospel is that this actually is possible. This is a realistic plan for the church. And here's how, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. If you've been a Christian long enough, you know that trying to live for God apart from absolute dependence on God is miserable. It, it, it's just miserable. And it's always failure. But through abiding in Jesus, through remaining dependent upon Jesus, his life, his vitality, his energy flows through us. A Chinese theologian from the past named Watchman Nee once said these words, outside of Christ, I'm only a sinner, but in Christ I'm saved. Outside of Christ, I am empty. In Christ, I am full. Outside of Christ, I am weak. In Christ, I am strong. 
Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I've been defeated. In Christ, I am already victorious. How meaningful are the words in Christ? Meaningful. Reality, we are not destined to fizzle. We are not destined to fail. We are destined to flourish so long as we abide in the life-giving vine of Jesus Christ, amen? Let's look finally at one last point. The gospel means a new story. Recently, I opened up Spotify, and once in a while, it will give me suggested playlists. Sometimes it knows me, sometimes it doesn't at all. And recently, I opened it up, and the first suggested playlist was this one. It said, my life is a movie. My life is a movie. And the description, which is actually cut off at the bottom, said this. Every main character needs their own soundtrack. It was like the quintessential millennial playlist. (laughs) (laughs) And it really goes to show how we all, age aside, we are all longing to connect our own personal experience to some sort of epic story. And what ends up happening is we settle for less and we make ourselves the main character. But that's not thriving. Think about in so much of modern literature and movies, writers and audiences are trying to make sense of the basic human condition. Stories grapple with things like sin, darkness, guilt, shame, betrayal, the hope of redemption, rescue, the power of love, the battle between good and evil. Every good story has those elements in it. And people tell stories to help make sense of life and to help others make sense of their life as well. It's why we're drawn to stories. It's why we all love good stories. It's why they're so powerful and formative and they shape us. Think about the way that Harry Potter was so much more than just a story. So much more than just a story. People did and continue to latch on to this story to make sense of themselves and where they fit in this world. If you don't believe me, there are actually, and don't pretend that you haven't taken this test, by the way. There are tests, yes, Verena's taken it. Slytherin. (laughs) Um, There are tests to determine what house you belong to. And I know the people that took it twice because they weren't content with the house that they belonged to, by the way. Like, it said Hufflepuff, but I'm really a Slytherin at heart. People are looking for some story to put their life on a bigger, grander narrative. We can only make sense of who we are and what we're to be once we understand the story that we belong to. We are all searching for a story. And my point is this. J.R.R. Tolkien put it this way, look at the gospel. Look at the story of Jesus. Everything that moves you about a story is there. Escape from death. A love that conquers death. Good triumphing over evil. Heroic self-sacrifice. When everything looks the darkest. Life out of death. Triumph out of defeat. Everything you want in a story. The gospel is the story that all good stories point to. They're all just faint echoes 
of that faithful message from of old, the one that Paul calls the true story, the story that welcomes us into belong, to find ourselves and our identity and our purpose and future within it. I love how Paul concludes this introduction to Colossians by rehearsing a story, by rehearsing the gospel story. He says in verses 13 through 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice again, he uses the words us, we. And what that means is that through faith in Jesus, the story of God's redemption, this eternal epic that has been unfolding since before time becomes our own story. It becomes the narrative that defines us. His rescue, his conquering kingdom, his title beloved, his happily ever after becomes ours definitively and forever. And so the question I wanna leave you with today is this. What story are you living into today? And are you receiving and are you believing the good news of Jesus? And I would bet, I would bet that there is someone here today that is longing for something more. Someone who is done allowing the world to define them. Someone who is done trying to live life on their own. Someone who realizes that they are absolutely tapped out and depleted and lacking all the strength that they need to keep going. Someone who is ready to step in to a story that is bigger than themselves. If that is you, the good news is this. Turn to Jesus. He welcomes you into his story. Repent of your sin. Trust in this Jesus. And the promise is this. He will deliver you from the domain of darkness, a bleak future, and into, into his forever kingdom of life and love today. Today. Trust in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.